Adobe.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, again, kind of a slow start to the sort of grind we have towards Christmas. We are a little bit down this week as the markets are trying to suss out what's going to happen with higher rates and uh, potentially just like a dollar that's just going to stay too strong. Earnings aren't super strong this week, but, you know, I don't care about any of that audience because football is back. We have our first game of football in as we're recording this, and by the time you guys listen to this on Monday, we'll have had a whole first Sunday of NFL football, and our co-founder, CEO, and chief analyst here, Justin Kramer, will be merely hours away from Aaron Rodgers' debut for his New York Jets. Justin, man, what's good, dude? Are you uh, How are you feeling about, uh, you know, uh, it finally being good in sports again, so to speak? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends who you ask as a Jet fan. Uh, it's nerve-wracking, I'll, right? You don't know what's going to happen. I see it. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it when I see it. Just uh, had a lot of false hope over the years, so I got to make sure that uh, this is real this time. But other than that, yeah, football's back. Obviously, it's great. Um, and with that, there's going to be, as always, a lot of money now pouring into a lot of beneficiaries. Um, but as a fan, definitely excited to see the season come back. Um, going into now the fall and into the winter, which crazy summer is over, not even just football, but everything is back in a sense. People will start paying more attention to their jobs, to the economy, to the market. And this ride into the end of the year is going to be really important for us all. Exactly. And we almost got a taste of that last week when the autumn air kind of kicked in and everyone just kind of decided to end August a little bit early riding into Labor Day weekend. But unfortunately, summer heat came back this week. And for some reason in the markets, the dog days came back as well. So mild down week. But like you, Justin, you're in the exact same situation I was in last year as an Eagles fan. It was Jalen Hurts' prove it year. He definitely proved it. And I got a little revenge last night watching the Chiefs lose. Life is beautiful. But of course, we're not here to talk about sports. Like you said, we're talking about business. So I think the main thing we're going to be watching is those long-term trends that are going to power the economy moving forward. So the main thing I want to talk to you right now, Justin, is again, that nascent sports betting industry. Because we've had a lot of shakeups here and we want to make sure we kind of pick the right winner. Members of Moby.co already know who we're riding with. We're actually up 56% on the year in terms of our sports betting strategy, not placing bets in sports betting. I don't super recommend that. Uh, I don't like lots of vices, right? Uh, But, you know, actually betting on the stocks in terms of like buying and holding, that's the game I'll do. So Justin, just kind of talk through you with this. The main thing we are actually playing right now is DraftKings. And I was wondering if we could quick talk about just like why we're thinking DraftKings is going to be the main winner with players like ESPN jumping in with FanDuel still out there. With this being a very competitive space, I'd love to sort of get our sort of analytical thoughts on why DraftKings is what we think of as the top pick within sports betting itself. Of course. So one thing to say about that in particular is that every single fall in September and every single Super Bowl in February, if you look at like search trend volume for DraftKings and just betting sites in general, there's massive surges. Football season is the season for these sports betting apps to ultimately capitalize as much as possible on revenue and upside, whether it be college football or professional football, this is their money-making season. Um, so we're seeing that again with DraftKings, that that trend play out. If you look at Google trend data, you can see it yourself, but you're starting to see the pick back up. Um, and that's one of many reasons why DraftKings is up huge to start this year. Um, sports betting is obviously a continued massive industry and they're, they're the leaders in the space. So I think the macro picture on why someone would bet on the sports betting industry is pretty clear. Americans and people in general have a nature to bet. 
casinos are basically licenses to print money, so it just becomes a volume game. Um, so top-down makes sense. Bottom-up, though, I think you asked a really good question, and this has been something on the forefront of a lot of people's minds, is why DraftKings over you know, any other platform, especially now that ESPN is rolling out their own platform, which is ultimately going to be significant in the sense that they have obviously a massive audience uh, of people who are directly watching and tuning into sports. But having said all of that, you know, DraftKings has and continues to be our top play in the sports betting space. And there's a few reasons for that. So the first is, again, I know ESPN bet. I know there's Caesars. There's a bunch of other platforms, but a huge reason that we believe they'll win over these platforms is just straight up their product is better. At the end of the day, a lot of these companies offered crazy, crazy incentives to get people in the gate, hoping that they would retain them. And ultimately, the lifetime value of each customer would more than make up for their customer acquisition costs. But DraftKings, they took a little bit different of an approach and spent a lot of money on profitability and a strong product, although they didn't necessarily make some of like the splashier marketing plays that everyone else did last year into this year. And the reason they did that, again, is because product is going to win. No amount of marketing spend can ultimately keep people going back to a shitty product. And when we look at DraftKings in particular, not only do they have the sports book, but they also have the iGaming platform, which is slowly blowing up, which a lot of people aren't giving them credit for. Um, and so how that translates down to the numbers so far is we were going off last month's earnings here, but that will help us with our projections going forward. But DraftKings boosted their second quarter revenue by over 80% to $800 million. And they're well within the striking distance of hitting $1.2 billion in revenue by the end of Q4. Again, all due to things that they have a better product than everyone else. Um, they're not overspending on ads and their customer acquisition costs. Um, and so while ESPN and some of these other announcements coming out have muted the stock price in the short term, ultimately we think their balanced approach going forward is going to help them win. Looking at past sports betting into iGaming, iGaming is huge for them. And so if you're not aware of what that means, basically iGaming is not your sports betting app. It's more so the digital casinos within that app. So you can think blackjack, poker, things like this. And right now, um, DraftKings is basically controlling a f um, not only just a full third of the sports betting industry, but they also have a 27% market share in iGaming, which is pretty insane when you think about like who they are as a company that they already have that much market share. The next person so, down too, Justin, the next person down is actually MGM, like an actual casino, and they own 8%. So they are far and away, like the like not the majority, but the plurality in terms of ownership share. It's completely nuts how much they completely own iGaming right now. Like it's a Yeah, without a doubt. And at the end of the day, like that's what the reason DraftKings has been so good is because they are a tech company at the end of the day. And that's why we're not so bullish on ESPN. Like that's not their core competency. Like they're a media company. You look at Facebook, who is a technology company, but their core competency is software, not hardware. When they rolled out the metaverse, we all know that didn't work out. But when they've continued to roll in additional features and products like AI into their core stack, it's worked really well. Revenues are up huge. The stock's up huge this year. Their core competency is software, not hardware. And they're already a technology company at heart. You translate that over to a, a company that's a media company, not a technology company. Now they're supposed to build a sports betting app. Like, again, maybe they have success. But for us, them just making this announcement is way too early for us to like put our eggs on that basket and say, they're going to be the winners in the space. For us, our real 
there's a lot of details that underlie the statement, but our, our real bet is going to be on the fact that they have a superior product that them being DraftKings relative to the rest of the industry. And audience, to help get you to understand that a little bit too, like the main sort of like fun that comes from being a sports book and doing sports betting in general, it's not just when you win. It's also like if like it feels fun, even when you're losing, like sports betting is something people kind of start out doing to sort of like spice up their, their enjoyment of a particular sports game. Lots of guys end up watching sports games for teams they're not fans of, and they want to sort of like, you know, put money down and sort of to, to make to add to that level of interest. Uh, that fun lasts until you lose, but the way that DraftKings takes care of their product flow, that is just like the way you flow from doing one bet to the next, is really fun. And the most important thing they do, is also something very important to keep in mind if you're somebody who consumes these apps, one way that DraftKings has become like ludicrously profitable, like they have boosted their EBITDA to the point that they're looking at actual profitability soon, is a really do everything they can, and every sports app is doing this right now. Everyone's trying to push you into parlays, which are these sort of like multi-leg bets where you like bet on a bunch of different thing, different things happening at once, and all of the what is it called? Um, odds add up to you. You you pay in ten dollars, and if thirty things happen, you get thirty eight thousand dollars from that parlay. Sounds super fun, uh, you know, whatever. But it's one of those things where they make a shit ton of money off of those. Whereas if you just did each individual prop bet, you'd have like. Uh, less sort of um, you would have uh, you would you would not lose as much money on each individual thing and that that's kind of how it plays out so keep that in mind they're making a lot of profits off of people sort of like using the wrong kind of product so to speak but that's what we, we want to keep in mind as well like they're also really good at guiding you towards the situation in which they're going to make the most money which is totally wild um, and it's even more crazy to see it within iGaming as well because there's a lot of different product flows you can get to get somebody who just lost fake blackjack to dump them off into like a bonus round in fake roulette so on and so forth so really great, great product flow really great understanding of player psychology and that's what's going to make DraftKings win overall FanDuel is dumping in a lot of marketing spend ESPN is going to burn down their reputation just always talking about their ESPN bet product, but all of that's going to kind of fall apart because you can't just keep driving. You can't waste a mountain of money driving people to a bad product. The product has to be good, and DraftKings is the undisputable king of product in this space. So that's why we're super excited about them. So Justin, like, I think that's a, a good place to kind of leave that. That's one of our main stock picks for the week. We also have other less sort of like sports booky ones too. Um, and make sure you're checking us out over at app.mobi.co. Get a free trial, get our long-term perspective. We also are thinking about other areas of gaming as well as how we're going to update our view in the green energy revolution. So I'd love you. So audience, I would love it if you joined us over at app.mobi.co. We have a lot of great stuff going on. It'll also give you access to our daily newsletter that sort of tells you how we're thinking about the market week over week ads aside justin that's us talking about the past let's get more future focused because we did skip last week i mean it was labor day weekend and nothing was happening but now we want to kind of focus on the future and as we gear up for next week's cpi and think about where the market's moving moving forward one thing we're thinking about a lot too is the sudden resurgence of the ipo market we got a lot of exciting ipos coming out right now i'd love to just talk my way through them with you um, we got arm which is the chip maker that was taken off the market by softbank a couple of years back we got clavio a email marketing slash sort of like consumer marketing firm that I have feelings about. And then Instacart, which I think is like the most interesting one. So I just kind of want to go down the list and just kind of ask you questions about um, each of those individually. Um, I look at ARM 
and I look at a company that uh, both their year-over-year revenue and their uh, their S1 filing and their quarter-over-quarter revenue is both down, and I wonder, like, why SoftBank, who owns 90% of this chip manufacturer, is trying to put a tech stock out now when its revenue has gone down year-over-year. I look at that, to me, that screams alarm bells. That screams cash out. I see that, and I think, I think this, like, they're, they're asking for $52 billion. Is this going to tank the minute it comes out, dude? Yeah, it's a, a good question, especially when you look back at the fact that Better.com went public and they're down like 99%. Uh, they're trading sub-billion dollars right now. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting year for IPOs. I know Kava came out. It's kind of the complete opposite. Um, and there's Instacart. There's upcoming Starlink, Stripe, a bunch of others that were either moderately or relatively excited about. Um, but ARM, exactly to your point, like this is going to potentially be the biggest listing of the year. Um, and they're seeking that valuation, you said, up to $52 billion, which is a ton of money. And so, again, a little early for us to like say so far, not that many people listening even have access to the initial like primary IPO. Um, but I mean, as 49% controller of the chip market and processor market, obviously that's like exciting. Um, but past that, I mean, this is seemingly kind of a little bit of a cash out in a sense for IPO, uh, for IPO, for SoftBank, who's obviously had their own liquidity issues. Um, I think for us, like we, we probably need a little bit more information, but looking at the data, there's going to be probably at least a few key takeaways that we can understand and might expect a little bit of underperformance. But um, this is something that we're, we're actively looking into right now. Exactly. And I think for, for a lot of IPOs, uh, audience, I want to give you a lot of perspective. We ha- I personally have been burned. I famously, within the Moby offices, managed to get access to the Rivian IPO and bought Day Of, and I'm still hurting from that experience. Um, at the same time, I also bought Tesla early, so I'm not hurting that much, right? Like, I, I, I got one EV pick right at the right time, at least. So when we, when we look at that audience, like, we, we just think, okay, a lot of these IPOs kind of can drop like a stone, like, in the months after they come out especially in a punishing environment like this current market is with renewed fears about uh, what is it called interest rates staying a little bit higher for a little bit longer as people are watching the dollar strengthen a little bit out of control so that that's the main reason we think about that one ipo that i think i'll never even touch is the next one that's clavio clavio is an email marketing service it's now kind of like a customer personalization software service um i personally have made a lot of money for clients utilizing clavio that being said uh I'm a little too close to it, I think, because now the service is pretty expensive compared to competitors, and now I kind of hate it a lot. Justin, you look at this. Um, am I too biased here? I, I know we're, we have, I think I still have friends at Clavio, actually, so I feel bad for even saying this, but I think I'm not going to touch this at all. When you look at sort of like the, cons- the consumer marketing space, like, is this, is this, could this be a win, or am I right to be like, it's too expensive, I'm out? I mean, it's definitely another thing to be fearful of. Unlike ARM, because um, they, they're not, you know, dropping and in numbers like ARM is like ARM's revenue fell 1% to start the year, uh, according to their filings, their net income fell. Like that's not the time you want to go public when things are going sideways. With Clavio, like the numbers are significantly better. Um, and they are like a, a huge leader in the space. They've scaled tremendously in the SMB space. Um, I think where they've had trouble is like their average order value or average customer value going into enterprise world. Um, but this is a product that like, I think similar to what we've seen with like Asana and a lot of those that are like workplace productivity, this is a relatively commoditized product. That's hard for us to say whether or not they'll win in the long run. 
Um, they're growing really nicely, but they're still a relatively small company. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them scooped up one day by another larger marketing cloud. Um, I know Adobe's made like jumps into the space, so it wouldn't necessarily be them. Um, but I struggle to see how they're necessarily going to re like keep competitive over the long run. The numbers again have been really good. They they've scaled tremendously, but it's becoming the point where like this industry is becoming more and more commoditized every day. Yeah, it wouldn't be Adobe because they they bought Marketo famously a while back, and they're kind of used, utilizing that within the space. But it might be an interesting way to hit more of the consumer market. So it's an interesting angle to take, definitely, especially with sort of that sort of with the D to C revolution kind of puttering out, so to speak. But I mean, that'll come back as you know the bull market returns. Something to keep in mind, I think, to move forward. But again, I just don't see the long term growth since again their growth is explosive. But where does it go from here when you have like very cheap competitors, so to speak. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll change my mind once we see a couple of months of stock data come out. Once I see the first earnings report, I might change my mind, like I said. But that gets us to the most confusing one, Justin, because this is the one that's the most hotly debated internally at Mopi. Instacart is coming out on the IPO market as well. And that is just a baffling business. On the service, you think, okay, yeah, it's groceries. It makes sense. But then you look at the actual source of their revenue and you realize it's secretly an advertising business. Uh, so with like $29 billion of actual transaction volume and two billion in profit, um, like how do you even how do you even suss this out? Like this this company currently is within and penetrated eighty five percent of the U S grocery market. How do they grow from here? Like I kind of want to buy this and kind of ride it to see where it goes because it might get access to like Uber style multiples, but at the same time it's not like the same way you earn money as Uber. Like it's pretty much advertising only. Like when you look at this, like is there any kind of money making play here? Can can you see a company like this growing well? I think it really depends how they scale. So the fact that like, I mean, there's things on both sides of the fence. Right now they're profitable, which is great to see. It hasn't been persistent for a while, but like they are profitable. Um, and they're a little bit older in that sense. So that's definitely good. Um, but I think I'm trying to understand, do we compare them to Uber? Do we compare them to DoorDash? But I think at the end of the day, like their biggest growth vector has been advertising revenue. And while Uber and some other folks are starting to lean into that, that isn't their main source of growth. So I think then it kind of puts them in this confusing bucket. Are they going to grow with advertising revenue? If they are going to grow with advertising revenue, that means they need more eyeballs. If they need more eyeballs, then they start going up against publisher plays. They start going up against Facebook. They go against Google. People who are also using the eyeball space via technology ultimately to monetize. And if they're going against up against those folks, I mean, end of the day, they're never going to get the scale that Facebook has. They have billions of users. Um, that's just not like where like grocery delivery will ever go. Um, so if that if that's the case, I mean, their upside is relatively limited, and now it's going to get impacted in their valuation. If we're comparing them to Uber and we're comparing them to DoorDash, I think the problem is that it's fundamentally just a different product. Um, so that's why we've started to see the growth stall out a little bit on that side of the business. Um, because if you want to get a ride somewhere, you want to get food from a restaurant, getting to that place or getting the food to your door is a relatively commoditized product. But if you want to get food delivered to your front doorstep that you then need to cook, it ultimately is like very different. So if you go to the grocery store and you need, you know, a certain fruit or a certain vegetable or, or whatever it is you're buying, if it's not boxed, chances are like you want to pick that yourself. That's what most people want to do. Otherwise they get something and they're very dissatisfied because it's either not exactly what they ordered or it's not to the quality that they would normally purchase. 
Like there's there's very much a physical component of a feel and touch type of thing. So I think ultimately, while they've obviously resonated with a lot of people, like their product is great. Like it ultimately saves people a ton of time. At the end of the day, like it's just ultimately like going to be a product market fit in that perspective. And I think that's the biggest question that a lot of investors have is what can be the true reach of this platform? And the reason they're asking that is because they're already starting to see growth start to start to, I wouldn't say like sputter out on that side, but like the upside is becoming more and more noticeable or the limited upside is becoming more noticeable. So I think you put ultimately like Instacart in kind of these two different buckets where they're either going for advertising revenue and they're never going to be Facebook, of course, or they're going for just overall gross volume, like revenue and gross and growth. And that's also like, again, a little bit of questionable. So I think at the end of the day, there's there's going to be a little bit of controversy on how they manage like their marketplace. Um, but that that bigger leap of faith for me is going to be a little bit of the reason why it's hard for us to believe in the product. And then we look at the valuation, how they're growing the multiple and revenue they're getting, the margins for each part of their business. And it just, I think for us at this point, it doesn't make, you know, a ton of sense. And not sim- we're not saying it's going to be ARM or one of these other things where it's a cash out. Um, but ultimately, I think we're a little bit questionable on the upside and growth story of the business. Do you think it's like a geographics thing or is it like, do they eventually have to break into things besides grocery in terms of like getting to that growth rate? Because again, do they necessarily need to beat Facebook in order for it to be worth your investment? Because I'm not trying to get Facebook numbers. I'm just trying to beat the S&P every year, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, are if they're not going to go after Facebook and Google style scale, like are they then again, going to focus where I think the real potential is, is going to be on like these memberships, like subscriptions are the lifeblood of most businesses at this point. And I think when we look at their revenue for the delivery side of their business, most higher average order volume is coming from um, their subscribe members. Like they're getting more predictable revenue at higher clips there. So I think the biggest thing to watch for is really going to be those membership bases. And if there's going to be potential there, um, I think that's probably the number one thing we're looking for. At the end of the day, like unlike you know, Netflix, HBO, all these subscriptions you have, you really only need one grocery subscription. So if they're able to like get get that type of scale with that type of base, that's something that could kind of flip a lot of this argument on its head. Again, they don't necessarily have the scale of that. At the end of the day, I think the market really just wants to see a good IPO. Um, like there's a lot of money on the sidelines and there's a ton of quote unquote unicorns rating at the right time to go public. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing to to put forward is these floodgates going to open up regardless of whether this is an amazing business or not. So I think the market appetite for good IPOs is there, but I just don't know if this is the one yet. And we're going to be looking more for Starlink, Stripe, and some of those companies. Absolutely. And I think one more thing too, audience, when you're looking for these kinds of plays, the main thing you're going to look for is actual value, right? I think IPOs make a lot of really great, what is it called? Um news value but they don't create a lot of like actual market value so the thing we are currently looking for right now is maybe plays that came out a couple of weeks ago that we're now seeing like the market play out a little bit more so one thing we are absolutely going to start almost covering is going to be the oddity ipo that happened a couple of weeks back they're a solid israeli company that's kind of like a tech company in the beauty space uh they're a solid competitor to one of our top picks of all time elf and so we want to find more people who are doing really good stuff in that space so to speak so uh, don't anticipate coverage of them anytime soon but we are finally beginning to put together analysis on them despite the fact that ipo was almost two months ago and so that's what we have to think about in this space we have to think long term here but justin kramer i think it's a pretty solid place to end it though we're getting future focus here the market's going to wake up a lot 
more next week. We'll have a lot more to talk about with the CPI and Apple. But before we do that, any final thoughts from you, man? Anything that you want to make sure we cover before we uh, go ahead and read the credits here, bro? No, I think that's pretty good to kind of leave it off there. There's some things that we want to talk about on the politics side now that the elections are starting to ramp up. We're seeing Vivek and uh, Vivek on the Republican side really start to like kind of make some noise and make some waves and whether that can be legitimate or not. Can he win? If it does, what does it mean for the, the markets? Whether Republicans or Democrats win? I mean, I think this is something that like is going to obviously have massive implications, like even just going away from green energy back to more traditional fossil fuels will have tremendous downstream effects on the industry, industry, whether the Republicans versus Democrats win. So as that becomes more and more in vogue, that's something we're going to have to pay attention to because who's in office has had massive impacts on the market. Exactly. And I think this is just a tremendously insane election. It requires you to watch this very closely because, you know, it's it's really Trump's election to lose on the Republican side. And can Joe Biden put together enough of a case despite low approval ratings? But again, we're going to put that together over a long period of time. So expect that from us next week as we sort of analyze where the markets are and that they're going to be fully woken up from our short week here in trading. Otherwise, audience, we really appreciate your time, but I think that's a good place to go ahead and read the credits. So as always, if you want to find our long term perspective, check us out over at app.mobi.co. We get free. We give free trials out all the time. We want to give you that sort of long term perspective. Again, in the market this week, we're going to be focusing a little bit on gaming. Next, we're going to look a little bit more into the technology side because there's still a lot of good value being created on the tech side. And we're getting back into thinking about sort of the boring plays that'll provide you long-term value that'll slightly edge out the flashier stuff that's a little bit more high risk. So check us out there. But for now, audience, just so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value of this podcast comes from the analyst team at Moby.co, which is headed up by our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here. That's Justin Kramer. If you have any questions for us, audience, you can always feel free to hit us up either here on our Discord where we record this podcast live every week or just email us at hello at moby.co. We love getting feedback. We love hearing from our audience. Join us there. Make sure you sign up for our email list as well where you get sort of our daily pulse check for the markets right there at lunchtime for you. Regardless, audience, it's a good place to end it. So as always, we like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.